Hi people, welcome to my third podcast about bereavement and learning to live without a partner and growing vegetables and living in a tiny home. I'm quite a long way from my tiny home at the moment. I am nearly a month past Mike dying and it's shortly going to be my 60th birthday and I've come up to visit my eldest son and his family in Yorkshire and spend some time away from home and that's really interesting. I am evaluating how I'm feeling. It's good to come away. I don't think I was ready to do that before. I don't think I was ready to leave the immediate environs, but actually it's quite nice to come away and be in a different place. And I am enjoying that stimulus of a new place. I'm also um, checking out the kids, making sure that they're okay and that they are coping okay with the loss. Uh, Mike isn't my children's father, so this is not such an enormous loss for them as it might otherwise be, but he's been in their lives, he's been in all their lives over half their lives, and so he is an important figure, and there is grief to be explored within that. So Mama's just checking out her babies. I've left the garden behind, which was a bit of a wrench, and I have set everything fair. A neighbour is watering the greenhouse. I've had a careful look at the courgettes and the cucumbers and thought, well, will they, will they last until I get back before I plant them out and repot them? And I think they just about will, so that's fine. Uh, the tomatoes I've... Um, I've taken off the side shoots, the little shoots that grow out between the stem and the leaf of a tomato plant and I've removed those so that the, the main fruiting branches will, will fruit more heavily. So I've done that before I've left and I've also had a look at the broad beans because it's, it's usual to pinch the growing top out of a broad bean plant at the point when the little tiny cutest little broad beans begin to form at the bottom. So the, the flowers that uh, flower earliest on the stem form broad beans the soonest and then it continues to fruit up the stem. Um, and at some point one wants to remove the growing tip, which is also the place that attracts blackfly. So I had a look at the beans before I left and they were neither attracting blackfly nor were those little tiny baby beans yet ready. And so I didn't pinch the tops out, but I did tie a piece of string. I grow all my veg in lasagna beds, which are about, well, my, my beds vary in size, but most of the beds are about eight foot long by about two and a half feet wide. Uh, I can't even do that in metres, my brain is too scattered. Anyway, they're longer than a, the height of a human and narrower than a metre in breadth. And so my beans are planted in a block 
and I run a piece of string right around those and just tie them, just loop loop the string all the way around the perimeter edge of, of the beans and tie and tie that circle of string up so that the beans are enclosed by string and that stops them from blowing over. They, they it, it just means that if there's a heavy wind that the, the string ensures that none start to fall over and take the others with them so they, they function as a stronger block. And at this point when they're only about 18 inches high and they will grow to three feet uh, that they they are strong and they have a little bit of extra support and the other thing I did before I left was to plant out pea seedlings so I planted out blocks of peas in another bed on the on the charred bed uh, and I have um, laid the chard down and and allowed it to to rot and the peas to grow through it and We'll see how that goes. And I um, put pea sticks in, hazel sticks that I cut out of the hedge last year when I was trimming things back and I've kept those sticks. And now I've laid them in amongst the peas so that the peas have got a sort of bare stick hedgerow to grow up through and run their tendrils up through so that that gives them height and strength and they don't lay on the ground. So that's another little job I did before I left. So I've left Yorkshire and come south to Oxfordshire where my boats are moored. These are the boats that Mike and I lived on for a decade before we moved to Wales and to the tiny house where I am now. And it's been, I think it's fair to say, an absolute roller coaster coming back to the boat. I have two boats that are kind of joined together. One is my living space and one is the garden and the little business that we used to run. I'm not really sure why I'm saying my living space because this living space was utterly ours. We really made this space our very own. It's absolutely tiny, not a lot bigger than the back of a transit van, with a little double bed, a tiny shower room, a tiny cupboard, a four foot long kitchen and a tiny little sitting room with a stove. It's very small indeed but it was our home for many years and we were indescribably happy here. We travelled around on the canals of England and covered many many miles between Manchester and London over to the west into Wales um, and we know it the whole system, hundreds of miles, like the back of our hands. But in recent years, since I had been unwell with cancer, we I'd begun to find it a little bit more daunting and a little bit more physically strenuous. And we'd got to a point where we'd made the decision that the boats were essentially too much for us. 
and so we'd come away and found a new life uh, in community with our tiny house and great big garden. And when I made that decision, or we made that decision, I'm noticing that I'm really beginning to talk more now in the first person than as the two of us. There are more eyes than we's now. So when we made that decision to move, we had absolutely no idea that Mike was ill. And I wonder how that decision would have gone had we known that. Maybe the same, maybe not. I've come back to the boats to get them ready to sell. And I think it's safe to say that since I got here a few days ago, it's been an absolute roller coaster. I knew it would be difficult to come back to the boats because really this is the place where we made our life together for a large part of the time that we were together. And I knew that there would be many memories and it would be a very different feeling. And I've just listened back to the bit of the podcast that I made in Sheffield and my garden and things and it seems so very distant. So here I am and I'm tucked up in the bed that we shared for so very many years with my little familiar floral curtains drawn shutting the night out. The dog's asleep beside me and I can see a view down the boat taking in my little kitchen that I've looked out on for so very long and there have been so very many conversations here and time shared. We've earned our money and lived our lives, summers and winters, brought in thousands of armfuls of wood that we've gathered and sawn up together, cooked a thousand meals, made, I don't know, how many thousand cups of coffee on the little stove and unlike when I'm back at the house I can feel him everywhere I can feel him around me all the time I can sense him around and I know that that is memories I know that that's just the almost concrete air around me, the the solidity of this place, the solidity of us here, the certainties of this place. And I'm fraught with second thoughts. I'm really loving being back on the canal. And really loving being in my little space and loving my boat. And 
I feel a long way from that tiny house and that community and that garden. And yet I listen to my voice talking about the broad beans. And I think about the onions that I must quickly harvest when I get home. And I listen to myself and I just don't even know where home is anymore. And that's all a part of losing a person. Because I don't think that my home was anywhere except where my partner was with me. And I feel very disconnected from everything at this very moment. Sometimes on the canal, um, random things happen and sometimes you get naughty kids who come along and untie your ropes and let the boat float out into the canal, which, unlike a river, is not a dangerous thing to occur. It's just annoying. And it's happened to us two or three times in the last dozen years. And when it happens, you don't obviously know that it's happened at the time, otherwise you'd immediately do something about it and it usually happens after dark and you suddenly feel yourself um, just drifting and you can tell that the ropes are no longer holding you to the bank and that the boat is loose in the middle of the canal and you have to gather up those undone ropes and, and put them back on board or they'd get tangled in the propeller when you began the engine and then you have to start the engine and get the boat going and manoeuvre her back to the bank and that's a really good analogy for how I feel at the moment that I'm, I'm drifting out in the middle of the cut and the, the ropes are sagging in the water and I need to gather the ropes in and start the engine and steer my little boat back to the bank and tie her tight again. Only it's not the boat that's drifting, it's me. And I need to gather in those wet ropes and set everything fair and get started and take hold of the tiller to steer myself back into a less confused place than the place that I find myself at this point. And at the moment, I'm, I'm literally like a de demented pendulum. I'm just swinging about to and fro and round and round. And one day, I just want to make my life on the boat again. And the next day, 
I think it would be sensible and a better future to return to my tiny house. And I'm spending hours and hours and hours weighing up the pros and cons whilst still clearing up and sorting out all of Mike's things and beginning the process of preparing the boat ready for sale. I've even told people it's for sale and had inquiries and I'm still not quite sure what on earth to do. And I guess that this is grief and I have to remember that I'm still in those very early days and I'm still not quite clear about anything. And so I'm just drifting. I keep going around in circles and looking at what those futures could be and, and I'm very remote where I live with my garden and I feel the remoteness of that and after visiting the kids in Yorkshire I I feel how very far I am from them and yet if I move back onto the boat I can't travel it because I'm just not strong enough to manage that and so I, w I would need to find a mooring and that oh yawning it's late that the, the mooring is a possible thing to find but my finances are quite small and I'd have to work it out very carefully and I wouldn't be traveling I'd be afloat in my boat quietly just getting on with things and I'd have my tiny garden which kept me happy before although I yearned and yearned and yearned for more land and there's a big conflict in me between the boat and the land and the thing that always swung it for us was being able to travel and we loved going from place to place and I know that on my own and getting older and with a very weak left arm that I I can't face learning to single handedly manage the boats and I find the prospect of travelling them really very daunting indeed. So that doesn't really leave me with much in the way of options. And yet, even whilst I remember how very much I did yearn for land, I'm so comfy on the boat and so happy here but I wonder if this is a house of cards 
I wonder whether what I'm finding here is comfort rather than a solution because being here cannot bring Mike back and I think that maybe I could get stuck in a place of just longing for him to be here and being amongst our familiar things and I could bring all my stuff back here and hang it back up and just set it all up like it always was. And yet I also know that the boat needs attention and that there are jobs that we should have gotten around to but we didn't and then and then lockdown and made it impossible to to get the boats ready to sell and so they're quite tired now they they need more paint and more love and more TLC and there are two or three quite large jobs that Mike was intending to do that need to be done and of course I could get them done of course I could I could sort out the money to do those things but am I really sure that that's the right thing but there's a sense of tranquility on the boat that is absent from my life in the tiny house because I have to graft quite hard when I'm there not just with the garden but with other commitments that I have and it tires me and stresses me and I'm quite attracted to returning to boat life because it is less stressful and I know this life and I know it can be less stressful but I'm also afraid that without Mike that it it might be boring and I don't do very well when I'm bored I'm better busy and I I'm just on the horns of a dilemma. I just do not know quite how to resolve this. So I'm giving some serious thought to whether to hold on to the boats for another few months whilst I try and decide. But then that would mean putting them up for sale in the winter, which isn't the best time to sell a boat. And it also might mean putting them up for sale from a place that is more difficult to sell the boats from. So I'm working through my options and talking to lots of people and I've absolutely no idea right now how this will turn out. I've woken this morning and maybe a little bit calmer and I'm sitting in my familiar little space on my sofa that we laughingly called the fainting couch, looking at my little stove, which doesn't need to be lit because it's so warm, and gazing out at the familiar little patch of green that shows through the hatch 
and the sun is shining a little, but the skies are grey today, and somehow, in less heat perhaps, I feel less fevered about things, and my wonderful, wonderful network of friends are sending me offers and making me little reminders and giving me gentle advice about being still and steady and not making decisions quickly. And I know my capacity for going too fast into decisions. It's it's both a, an enormous quality of mine and an enormous failing. And I know that in myself. And I'm listening carefully to my friends and working out how to land myself from the heights of my despair and my flailing around, trying to mend this huge hole. And I feel as though there's a great big hole in a bucket and I'm picking up all sorts of different materials to try and mend it. There was a little song about that when I was a little girl. And I can't remember how it went, but it involved trying all sorts of different things to mend a hole in the bucket. And that's how it looks to me. What I'm doing at the moment is just trying to mend holes in the bucket. And uh, I just need to be still as more than one of my friends has gently advised me. And I'm looking into strategies for how to do that. So this morning, I'm going to gently continue on with the process of clearing up, because whatever I decide, I need to do that anyway. And I've listened back to my podcasts and looked at things I've written on Facebook and realised that the food production aspect is so very important to me and I've remembered that I've planted enough onions to see me through the rest of the year and I've remembered that garlic that I so carefully cured and I've remembered that the first early potatoes will be ready for lifting and that I should quickly lift those whilst I'm at home before I come back to the boat and do more work. So that's where I'm at, steadier and more balanced for now and I need now to work my way through the rest of today and see 
where the pendulum has swung to by the end of the day. But I'd only sighed and said, oh God, once this morning. And that's a big improvement. So let's see how I go. I've begun yet another day. This podcast seems to be made of morning recordings and very late night ones. And the birds are singing and I'm in my little bed that I shared with Mike. And I am thinking of him and his calm voice and how he would be advising me to be still and not make decisions quickly and how he'd be reminding me of practical complications and how on a boat simple things can rapidly become difficult and I'm also examining where I've got to in the grieving process because I guess I'm probably six weeks into it now and it's beginning in some small ways to become a little less raw it's a little bit like carving something out of wood and starting with a very rough piece of wood and I'm gradually taking the splintery edges off my grief and I'm also aware that I'm drowning out my grief in work and trying to make decisions and trying to create a future because if perhaps if I create a future that's that's positive and strong for me then then it won't all be so painful and so hard and so I need to be mindful about being still and this morning I got up and gently put the kettle on and listened to it heating, waited until the steam was rising from the spout, and I put together my morning cup of coffee and went and sat outside, just breathing and listening and looking around me. And I need to slow down. And that is what I'm going to do. And just very gently keep working on that piece of wood. Keep taking the rough edges off. And when you're carving something or sculpting something or making something, you do a little and then you look. And then you do a little more and then you look. And that's what I'm attempting with this grieving process. Is to be in the grief and then to find 
of strategy, often just a tiny one, to help me to smooth the path through the grief a little more. And that is slow, and I'm not very good at being slow. But I think that I can see the path. And I think that if I remain mindful, that I can traverse this hard place. But I need to listen to my friends. And I need to listen to the things I know that Mike would have said. And listen to the bird song and the breeze in the trees and let decisions come to me. There's an old saying, it comes from the Tao Te Ching, which I'm not pronouncing remotely correctly, a book my mother gave me when I was about 13 years old. And it's, uh, it's the book of the Chinese philosophy of Taoism. And one of the beautiful quotes that I remember from that book is don't try to push the river. And that seems very relevant now. On the canal, in the boat, trying to work out what to do with a big beautiful garden calling me from another place. And so I'm going to work today on not pushing the river. And I'd like to say thank you to you for listening. Thank you for bothering with my little podcast. It's really helping me. And I hope that perhaps it can help other people who are negotiating difficult times. Thank you for listening. Mm.